0: This week, on episode 14 of Laser, we discuss using tree branches as water filters, a new type of super-thin infrared light detector that uses graphene, and the $1 origami microscope that you might have seen a TED talk about. Hey, is this microphone working? Yeah, that looks pretty good. What do you think?
1: I see the bumps can't hear me should i move closer maybe that would be better
0: yeah well i guess we'll have to move to the corner when alex comes here but all right <sighs> i was gonna do it like lasers as so- a show about material science we talk about materials and things, so materials materials mm.
1: and stuff <laughs> look around you children Everything is a material Exactly That glass of beer in your hand In my hand
0: Glass is a material
1: Yep Your skin All kinds of stuff
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Agree Science and Engineering or rad. I'm Cameron Copus. I'm a graduate student at Arizona State studying uh, the decoherence problem in quantum computing. And uh, my co-host today is Emily.
1: Hi. I'm a master's student also at Arizona State studying uh, sin- uh, self-regulating material sy- dynamic material systems.
0: All right. And uh, he is not here right now, but... Alex will be joining us pretty soon, and uh, Alex is a, another graduate student at Materials State, surprise.
1: Materials State?
0: Materials. <laughs> Dang it.
1: <laughs> it might as well be. Yeah,
0: right. Uh, Arizona State studying materials, and he's studying uh, iron pyrite for solar cell applications. There are a lot of materials. I, I was... have
1: a lot of job options.
0: Yeah, let me tell you right now <laughs> that there's a lot of materials, and I think it's hard to find a materials job because like you have so many options, you don't even know you could apply for this.
1: Yeah, or they don't. Sometimes um, employers don't realize that you would qualify for it until they get you they get to sit down with you and ask you about the things that you've learned, yeah. and you realize, oh, you do have an engineering degree, so you still understand statics and dynamics materials and
0: yeah i think so often they're looking for an electrical engineer so they're not going to hire you even though i've been studying semiconductors for five years or and superconductors and
1: exactly or somebody
0: <laughs> studying composites is they're not looking a for a
1: polymer chemist but they won't hire me even though i've been making polymers for two two years
0: anyway yeah yeah once they once you get into the interview they usually fix that because they realize oh
1: absolutely you just got to make sure you sell it yeah as best you can <laughs> that's your you? lesson for the day everyone <laughs> sell it
0: uh, emily's talking about this because she's looking for a job uh right now she's planning to graduate soon
1: yep june graduating in june
0: graduating in june with a master's that's fun scary yeah and then you're gonna get a job and move away and uh podcast over skype instead
1: you, can, you guys aren't getting rid of me yet. Uh,
0: that's the dream, right?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the dream, is <laughs> podcasting over Skype.
0: <laughs> we will have to get you a microphone, though, although I think you might have a microphone. I'm
1: there. sure I'll be able to afford one. That's true, with a real job. <laughs> with a real job.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, our first story today uh, comes from... An article in Popular Mechanics that was published in February 27th. Um, the article was called A Simple Tree Branch Can Become a Backyard Water Filter by Joshua Krish. Joshua Krish, does that sound right?
1: that the? Are you asking about the article the author? The article author, yeah. The article author. Yeah, Krish sounds right.
0: All right, and uh, his, he was referring to a paper published by... Uh, MIT in the journal PLOS One, that's P-L-O-S. It always confused me for so long when I heard people say PLOS One on podcasts, I thought it was PLUS One, but it's, it's PLOS, it stands mm-hmm. for Public Library of Science. That's
1: Google's personal uh, science journal, PLOS One. Is it? PLOS One, no. Oh,
0: Google Plus, yeah! Google Plus, that's very funny.
1: <laughs> I'm clever.
0: I like that. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the paper is from MIT, um, and the first author was Michael Boutelier. Boutlier.
1: Bout. Yeah. Well, it depends on.
0: Whether it's French or English. How, or... how
1: separated from its English heritage this last name is. Yeah. It, would be, it could be Boutelier, or it could be Boutelier.
0: I don't speak French, so I just totally made that up. I was Boutelier. Boutelier. A... <laughs> and the title of that paper is Water Filtration Using Plant Xylem. And uh, that was published on February 16th in 2014, so we're a little behind, like a month-ish.
1: That's okay.
0: Yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, Emily, do you want to introduce this paper?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So the entire purpose of this research was to determine a natural way to provide safe drinking water for everyone, not just of all financial backgrounds, so that we didn't have to go through all of these... Um, heavily industrialized methods of cleaning water from uh, microbial pathogens or um, heavy metals, viruses, things that make people sick. And it's a huge problem, of course, in third world countries of people – of people, uh, the actually the paper quotes the World Health Organization saying that 1.6 million people die every year from uh, diarrheal diseases related to drinking unsafe water.
0: Yeah, it also says that 90% of these are children under five years old. So it's killing mostly kids. I, yeah. that kind of sucks.
1: It's a really horrible problem. So this group uh, found some novel way to to Set up a natural filtration system using materials in their own backyard.
0: Now, I don't know. All right.
1: Maybe not their backyard. Oh,
0: it could have been their backyard. It did say... It says it came... a
1: private owner.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says the, the sample, the tree was acquired with permission of the private owner. The tree branch. Yeah. So, I have a little bit of, of trouble with that they created this since... And then the fact that it's novel. Because it maybe, maybe it's novel for us, but... I mean, trees have been filtering water this way for millions of years. <laughs> trees well, have been filtering water using tree branches.
1: Nature has doing has been doing plenty of things for millions of years, like photosynthesis, officially using the energy from the sunlight. But uh, it, so this is the I guess one of the few times that we've actually looked at nature and said, "Hey, we can use your parts to make something." So in this case, they used the plant uh, xylem, which is the a porous Portion of the inner, uh, for example, in this tree, it's inside the the branch or the, the trunk. Trunk of the tree. They, they used a branch because it's smaller for their experiments, but okay. it goes throughout. Um, so they used the pore, this part, porous part as like a filter, basically.
0: So literally, they cut a tree branch, shaved the bark off, clamped a tube onto it, and pumped water through it. Yes. And that filtered the water.
1: Yes. That they have clear. They have some. I don't even know. What yeah, they have, have a it. diagram. They actually here, have they a diagram made. of images of branch, no bark. Here's all the pieces with the tube, and then it fastened into the tube. And I should note. I think it was mentioned in the article that uh, one of the people working on this was a high school student.
0: Oh, really? Yes. So that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, cool. I uh, was uh, Varsha Venkatesh, a high school student from New Jersey.
0: From New Jersey, working yeah. in MIT? Yep. Interesting. Yeah, okay. so he's the
1: second-to-last author, anyway. He helped collaborate on this paper.
0: Cool. Well, we have a couple of high school students in our groups. It's kind of neat when they... Really? Yeah. That's cool. Um, our group always has, like, three or four high school students working on projects. They always win lots of cool science fairs. And, uh, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> one of them is actually joining, coming to ASU next year and joining our group, because she's had a good experience working with us, I guess. Yeah. Um but it's always neat because these these students if you're in high school and you're on a published paper i can't imagine how amazing it is to be on a plus uh, like a, a very well publicized plus one paper but
1: let alone working with a, a group at MIT
0: yeah so even our our high school students at ASU they get involved with the group and just by be, by being published universities are extremely impressed by that
1: right absolutely yeah.
0: so they basically get to go wherever they want. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, almost all of them have gotten into every school they've applied to. So that's, that's kind of exciting.
1: Yeah. What an advantage. Uh, So anyway, the, in collaboration with the high school student, they made this fairly simple setup, basically. I mean, there are only three parts to it. And to test the uh, filtration capabilities of the xylem of a pine tree, this is a pine tree branch uh they didn't uh, initial test uh they just used dye to filter water filter the dye out of the water Mhm. So and they look, made
0: sure that it got all yeah, of the dye out.
1: Right. It's a pigment dye yeah, so a pigment so it is a particle that can be captured. They it, they simultaneously they were trying to see uh what the limitation of particle size is. Okay. For this porous material um you can see that there are certain
0: So it looks like they filtered out everything below about 60 nanometers. Or, I'm sorry, everything above above about 60 nanometer particles. They
1: conservatively estimate their threshold is about 100 nanometers.
0: Okay, that's where it starts to drop off.
1: Yeah, that's where it starts to drop off. So uh, they also claim to be successful at filtering out bacteria in their later um, experiments.
0: Now, how big is a bacteria?
1: It requires an internet intermission. <laughs> it dep- I'm sure it definitely depends on the type of bacterium. Because I mean, of course. They are, so,
0: uh, but we can time? say an atom is on the order of 10 angstroms. A The gap between atoms or a, a, a grain boundary is on the order of 10 angstroms also. Um,
1: uh, anywhere from 0.2 to 5 microns.
0: Okay, wow. So 0.2 microns is 200. 200 nanometers. Exactly.
1: So, uh, okay, so it can range anywhere from about 200 nanometers to 5,000 nanometers, or 0. 0.2 microns to 5. And yeah,
0: 0. 0.2 microns to 5 microns. Okay, exactly. wow. So that's a lot bigger than I... I mean, it's not yeah, larger than I expected, because they are single-celled organisms. Exactly. A cell they're has not. To be pretty big.
1: Right, they're not virus size.
0: Okay. Although we did find that giant what? virus in the ice in Russia. How big was that? That was 100 microns.
1: It took So double. you could
0: almost see it with your eyes.
1: Yeah. So in this case, since we, this may not be effective for, and they even admit to it, this may not be effective for filtering out viruses because they're limited to 100 nanometer particles, but it definitely can take out most bacterium.
0: Wow. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. Now, so they, they actually said in here, there are the three important things about making sure people have healthy water or clean water and the three things are con- to get rid of contamination to make sure it has sanitation and disinfection those are the three barriers oh there's alex
1: we have a visitor all
0: right so we just got a uh, alex here and uh, he's i all- am here yeah he's here
2: and he's all cut up my so question is can it filter out Evil orgone energy.
1: Evil orgone,
0: probably. <laughs> probably. I hope so. I think you need crystals to help with that, though.
1: Oh, what and are magnets. they? Magnets. Damn it! This would be a better joke if I remember. What do the Scientologists have in their blood? That yeah, they
2: have a it's thing. blue. It glows, and when you collect it in a in a flask, I at need the end to of know. Life. Or your Scientologist. Scientologist's blood. It's in there, and it's like, but you pay for that blood. You know, it's not like you're like you don't have the spirit of the, the space aliens that orbit the planet. Okay. It's it's. You have to buy it to get get it. Together. What
1: is it called? All right.
2: Well, anyway, it's made in China. What, we're, <laughs> what we were just talking about
0: are like the three barriers for clean water. Getting clean water to people are the problems are contamination, sanitation, and disinfection.
1: Chlorians. No, wait, that's midi chlorians. No, that's, that's Star, Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. What no. is it called? <laughs> Sorry.
0: Chlorians are not important for water sanitation. <laughs> no.
1: No. In fact, you might want to ingest those, right?
2: I've ever always really, ever actually been a bit interested in water sanitation.
0: That's
1: what we're talking because,
2: about. Because, oh, I, well, I know that. But, <laughs> you know, like, when when you have... Actually, that gives me kind of an idea. Let's get some of this wood. Let's see if we can we can filter hard water with it. Can't we? No. It's too small.
1: That's, Calcium ions are too tiny. That's, yeah. yeah we'll not do analyze. ions, unfortunately. Uh, that was well, the, another point that I was making, so that it can do bacteria, but it leaves out, you know, uh, toxic ions, toxic particles. Hard, hard uh, I'm particles. sorry, heavy metals.
0: Heavy metals. Heavy metals. Um, anything else. Yeah, so that's
2: what they well, were talking about. Well, I mean, you might get <laughs> some of it, and how do you know that all of the particles are, depending on the source, you know... Clumps know of mercury yeah, I mean,
1: floating in the water? As far as, I
2: understand, as far as I understand, like, if you have trace amounts of some heavy metal somewhere... There's going to be, depending on the source, a large distribution of sizes. So
0: yeah. You might
2: get a lot of it out, depending.
0: It depends. But, like, in the hard water, it's all dissolved and water soluble. So. Yeah. So, with these three barriers, they, contamination, sanitation, and disinfection, those are the three things that the WHO is concerned with. Uh, the, this paper, at least, posits that disinfection is, if you only have one of them, disinfection is the most important. Because you can always assume that uh, contamin- contamination can come, or can not be as as important. If you have some heavy metals, it's not going to kill you right now, but it could,
2: like, mercury could build up over time. The other thing is you can't spread that. I can't spread heavy metal poisoning to people. Yeah. Actually, you know.
1: through birth you can. Oh. Well, you can't. True. Or if somebody eats I you. But I can. Or if
2: somebody eats it, it would be good. Eat, so
1: if, like, if you eat animals like tuna or whatnot that have high concentrations of mercury, then you have mercury in you. And then if you're a woman and you have a child, you can pass on the mercury poisoning. I see.
0: Them. So what about cats? If I eat a cat? Yeah, you get all of the heavy metals. If you eat anything. Oh, I know get. that. So Sorry. <laughs> so we're not using tree. uh happens when airplanes fly over sometimes. Oh,
1: that's cool. Yeah.
0: The windows aren't really like locked in there very well. It's just the resonant frequency. That's yeah. really all it is. Airplanes and helicopters do that. And so it's, it's just like the resonant frequency. It's got to be a helicopter, not an airplane.
1: Anyway, so let's get through this plant thing. Yeah, so what they're
0: talking about when... Disinfection is the most important, and this can... Uh, this xylem filter really helps with that. Because it, it filters out most of the bacteria... Um, it doesn't sanitize it because it doesn't kill everything, but it does filter out most of the stuff that's that's going to make you sick. And since the uh, that's what kills most of the people, this is what this could actually be very very useful. Uh, current technologies we use for disinfection are ultraviolet light, uh, pasteurization, boiling, ozone, and chlorine. And those are all very expensive. Um, chlorine is useful for like large scales, like big cities, but it's not really useful on a small scale because getting chlorine is expensive for something like a, a village in a, a third world country. Right. A small area is not not able to get a lot of chlorine.
2: So you know, <clears throat> it might be it might be interesting to think about. Does something like this help a large scale setting like a city? Because in something like a city, how much wood are you going to go through by doing this? <laughs>
0: yeah, I I don't think that this is very useful on a large scale. Yeah, I think this really is where this is really going to help is people who can't afford anything, who don't have any sort of infrastructure to help them. Um, so, as a small village or right. somebody, maybe somebody camping even.
1: And I don't know. I do wonder, like, how long. How long can you use that piece of branch as your filter?
0: That's true. And where do you get the filter from? They they used sapwood because that's common in the United States. But if you're in Africa, how many pine trees are there?
1: Well, There's you don't have to use tree. pine no,
0: trees. I'm sure you can use another tree, but it might not Will be act as exactly the same. Right? It might be harder to filter through.
1: the um, The amount of xylem in a plant is not uniform across species.
0: Yeah. The, and the xylem is the part that they're using that, that actually filters it out. So it could be a tree with a lot more bark or something. Might or we be able
2: to synthesize a xylem like structure?
0: Maybe, but then at that, we're, we're almost like, why not just synthesize a water filter? If it well, depends on
2: what's cheaper, but yeah, something like like. So what is what is xylem like chemically? What is this stuff? If you explain it to a person, that I don't has know no what it is chemical, chemically,
0: but it's the part of the tree that brings water from the roots to the
2: leaves.
1: So, okay. i so sure it's, it's mostly cellulose-based.
0: Yeah, it's, it's got to be cellulose So what based causes the filtration?
2: Is it, is it chemical or is it physical? Capillary action. Yeah,
0: capillary action. It's a lot of very small tubes that all of the water goes through and the bigger stuff can't fit.
2: That sounds like it would be a cheap thing to make to me.
0: Very cheap. I mean, you literally go outside and cut... A tree. No, I mean You'll, I mean,
2: in a lab. I mean, Oh, yeah, in a lab. It's, it's just days. a cellular structure. If you can figure out how to make that cellular structure, you might have an effective filter that's really cheap. Maybe, if you can emulate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're taking that class. There Do you know? go, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the Fantasy lab you're class. working in,
0: Emily, and the
2: class that you two are taking. Yeah.
1: Figure so, it out. Think of their research and use it as your, pri- your paper that you have to write. hmm
2: Except I pick topics that have nothing to do with that. Sorry. What? I pick topics that have nothing to do with that.
0: Never mind.
1: Oh, not for your... Never mind. Okay. Oh, for the research proposal. Yeah. All right.
0: So my only real concern with this is the fact that... uh, Or I'm worried about how much pressure it takes to push water through this. Because I've never actually... I've never tried anything like this before, but I imagine that because it's capillary, you can't just have a tank of water with a little tube and I don't know if gravity will will filter through it. You need
1: uh, the pressure that they measured is on the order of ten to the negative four pascals. Ten to
0: the minus four pascals. Oh, <laughs> okay. So the, so the pressure I I didn't read the paper very well. Um, pressure is not as high as, as I would expect.
1: For their water flux.
0: For anyway. the one. So so maybe it's something that's very slow, but
2: it happens
1: right.
0: common.
2: You can probably do something like gravity. So. So I have a question about this pressure. This is the pressure that we're pushing on it from one side, or that's the pressure that you get out the pressure that you're pushing and how but how fast does it come out on the other side? Probably drips.
0: so I it understand. probably it takes a long time. it's not an immediate I'm sure it's not an immediate filter. Mm. Um, so it isn't something that you could would really be useful for filtering a lot of water for a big city or something. I see All right. Emily, do you have uh, much else to say about this? No, I
1: think I, we pretty much got the the gist of it for everybody. You know uh, what's important of it is it can be done. They did a great job, and I, I, I don't know. I like simple projects like this. You it know what it happy. tells me that there's still time to do, that we can still do simple things. It doesn't always have to be overly complicated with eight thousand hours of CVD and like
0: exactly. It doesn't always have to take expensive, complicated equipment to. Make a difference.
2: There's a lot of good ideas, but people don't seem to pay much attention to them. I mean, we see that with our pyrite project. Everybody's like, gallium arsenide, and all those fancy exotic things. They're like, uh, like, there could be other things that are cheap. You know, maybe we should focus on that, you know, but a lot of people don't pay attention to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get people to listen.
2: All right. Well, since we are, uh, can you guys
0: think of a transition to go to... Infrared contact A variety
2: of mouth trumpet sounds. <laughs> <Go for it. laughs>
0: like we said before the break this next paper comes from an article that was on uh, motherboard.vice.com and the title of the article is infrared imaging is coming to contact lenses near you the uh, author is Michael Brine, and it was published on March 16th of 2014 so uh i don't know how uh,
2: how i feel about this article but well, so, I mean this title the article title doesn't tell me What's going on? I have no. It's like the title of a movie or a preview that just tells me I don't know whether or not I want to see this movie.
1: Well, that's the problem with science news. It's always sensationalized, and they have a title that's you, that the writer, that the journalist, came up with on their own to keep it, make it interesting for somebody to come look at it. But typically, it doesn't really have much to do with what the actual
0: research is about. Now, I, don't want to, I don't want to hit a motherboard, though. No. They're usually really good, but they're science journalism. Um, I mean I, mean, I wasn't of...
1: talking about them specifically. I've seen okay. it in other places. Yeah. You know, you have to be careful when you see it in the news. Like, how much are they just reaching to, you know, is pizza going to cure cancer? That happens all the time. I feel yeah. like
0: getting a pizza now. So this article headline is, is I don't think it's very, uh, very good.
1: No.
0: Um, the article isn't isn't bad on its own, but I think it, it, it starts off with a bad premise, and I think that actually might be the author's fault, because there are some quotes in the ar- the, the author, not the article author, the author of the paper that he's referencing. Uh, I guess I didn't say the paper is called uh, Graphene Photo Detectors with Ultra Broadband and High Responsivity at Room Temperature. That was published in Nature Nanotechnology. by uh, The first author was uh, Chang Kualu from University of Michigan it was actually published on the same day, so they must have been talking to this uh, article author ahead of time for him to have enough time to write it. Um, but the, the author actually made a, a strange quote that said something about you'd be able to miniaturize these into something as small as a contact lens. And while, yes, that's true, it doesn't operate the same way. Um, so I guess the the whole... The big thing about this discovery is, yes, it is important, and it is kind of amazing. It's a novel type of photodetector, or a new type of photodetector. It's it's not the same type of detector that we use right now. So usually for detecting things like infrared light, we use something called a transition edge detector, where you have a superconductor that's at its superconducting temperature... And then, when it, a little bit of light hits it, it doesn't go superconducting. It's, it stops being superconducting because it's so close to that transition temperature that you can easily measure a big change in resistance very quickly. And then you know, okay, a light photon of this much energy hit it, hit it, because the resistance went up to this this much or this amount and it took this much time to come back down. But this one is actually a room temperature infrared detector that works using graphene. And uh, I think we should get into that later. But it doesn't actually just change infrared light into visible light. It detects it electrically.
2: Huh. Um, so now, you know, this is a this is a... I know you both of us know a lot of solid-state physics. Yeah. So there's a million things coming to my head as I'm listening to you say this. And the first thing is, how does light stop something from being superconducting?
0: Okay. The way light stops something is is that every photon has a, for a normal uh, uh, transition edge detector, every photon has a certain amount of energy. Okay. And temperature is basically just energy. Yeah. So a superconductor is superconducting at one temperature where the resistance is zero, Mm -hmm. and that's an easily measurable property. And then at a temperature very, very slightly above that, it's not superconducting anymore where it has a much larger resistance. Right. And it's a, that's the characteristic of a
2: superconductor that it changes from
0: resistive to not resistive very quickly at a certain temperature.
2: I understand that, but my, I guess what my question is, let's say one photon comes in and that photon you know interacts with a Cooper pair and it's enough energy to break the Cooper pair because yes. you have to break the Cooper pair in order for it to become for them not to become normal electrons. Yeah. So as far as I understand there's an energy gap for that. Correct? Yes. So there's a set energy gap. It's not... Oh, okay.
0: No, I'm sorry. It's not
2: totally super
0: connecting. We're right on the edge.
2: We're so we're in the middle. We're in, on the
0: in the middle of the transition. Yeah. So the transition wow. isn't, inf, isn't
2: infinitely small. That's there's a, a tight middle, temperature it's
0: control. control. It's a very tight temperature control. That's a
2: control. super tight temperature control. I'm interested in how they even do that. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure.
0: But I know that that's that's how like X-ray telescopes are, and uh, XRF in... Uh,
2: in well i mean a, a great thing is if you could figure out a superconductor where the transition temperature begins at like 71.01 sorry 77.01 and then you know ends at 69.998 or something yeah, like so that yeah so liquid
0: nitrogen is right at right it. there yeah
2: i think they i think it's not as
0: hard because there are a lot of liquid nitrogen detectors that it is. So it's, I think it's not as hard as, as we think it is. We probably just have don't understand it
2: enough. So what does the broadband spectrum sensitivity come from then? Because that that means that you know you have one detector. Am I right? That you have you have one you detector. Have lots of different detectors. You have lots of different. Yeah. Okay. It's not that you have or you know it's not that a single detector is a larger range. No. Perhaps a misunderstanding maybe, what maybe broadband yes, because, means.
0: Okay. Well, that this is that's the old technology that we've been talking about. This new technology uses is broadband, and the way it works is uh, it has two layers of graphene, and we've talked about graphene before on the show. graphene is a single atom layer thick structure of carbon, right So it's a sheet of carbon, and it is not very absorbent absorbive. Absorptive? Absorptive. Absorptive. Not very absorptive. Absorbaceous.
1: You <laughs> it does not absorb well. Yes.
0: Uh, so when light goes through a single sheet of graphene, about 2.3% of its intensity is absorbed. Almost. And for, that's, that's actually a way that they actually measure how many layers of graphene thick you have a structure. Right. So, I
2: saw a talk you would love. About measuring the thickness, doing ex, you basically do X R. It's a way to do uh, X R D on graphene that can tell you instead of instead of rays, like instead of the Fourier transforms which are rods, <laughs> you get transforms which are rods that then stop, and then there's a blank spot, and then you get another rod. Okay. And depending on how the blank spots are, and like it tells thick you about tell you how, how many layers there are, and things like if you were to roll it up, what the chirality would be. And nice.
0: Weird stuff. Okay. So these these are two layers of graphene. There's the light goes through the top layer, and then there's a dielectric insulator in between, and then another layer of graphene on the bottom. So what happens is when the light hits the first layer, a little bit of it is absorbed, only 2.3%, so it keeps going through. So that's why they're saying it could be a contact, because it's transparent still, mostly transparent. Um, that energy excites an electron, creates a hot electron that jumps across that insulating barrier to the bottom layer of graphene. Now, suddenly, because you have an extra electron or hole in the bottom layer and not in the top layer, you can measure a voltage across the two. Hmm. That electron goes back to its original state.
2: Through the insulator.
0: Through the insulator, if another photon hits it, because it has to have another hot electron. To get back through.
2: So Why would that happen? That seems
0: because yeah, the light is only two only two point three percent of the light is being absorbed in the first time, so it's, it's there's still a probability of it absorbing the second time, but okay. anyway, it makes it very easy to measure a difference in voltage because you can measure a one electron difference pretty pretty easily, relatively
2: easily, depending on the size of the of the uh, of the material of the material, yeah.
0: So that's how this uh, photodetector works. Uh, They said it works at room temperature. You don't need a superconductor. You don't need any liquid nitrogen, liquid helium, thermoelectric coolers, whatever. So that cuts the cost down a lot. It works at room temperature, and it works from the visible to the mid-infrared range. So it's useful for things like night vision goggles and infrared imaging. Wow. Yeah.
2: You know what I'm thinking? Contact lenses... (laughs) That give you augmented information about your surroundings.
0: Now, that's kind of what... Because they said what, contacts. Yes, so. that's, yeah. that's what the article was talking <laughs> about.
2: But my
0: problem with that is this, that the, the detector doesn't transform infrared light into visible light. So, it's not a film that you put over your eyes and suddenly you can see in infrared.
2: Well, unless you have a computer which is taking the signal and converting it into something in the visible light spectrum that can represent yes. infrared light.
0: So, you could have a bunch of pixels all over, all right. of the, a grid of this, of these detectors, and that would work. You, the computer would measure a bunch of voltages, but then it has to output that data on a screen. So you still need a camera or a detector or something, and then a screen to display the results on. Unless mm-hmm. you also put that screen on the contact, and then basically you just have... a. It's basically taping Google Glass to your eyeball.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's, that's a dream that Google wants to achieve. Oh, yeah. By the they, way. they want that. I'm so sure it's... I, still, want as well as, I want that. I worked for a company that wanted that, too. We were, except we went with aluminum nanorods.
0: I'm not saying it's not awesome. <laughs> I'm saying this... ...doesn't make that technological leap. It's not the necessary leap. I think the display technology and the tiny computer is the, right. and the battery is the hard one.
2: Right. Uh, all this does is uh, the, absorb or the, infrared. Or the... Uh, can you make a solar cell small enough to put in the contact lens yeah. that powers the lens itself? And then the other thing about that is... If you can't house that all that processing in the lens itself... Can you make a wireless transmitter that goes inside the contact lens that's so that is so small that you can't see it that can communicate with a computer worn elsewhere on the body
0: yeah and then you still have to have power on both sides unless you can transmit power and right. then you get into lots of nasty stuff yeah so All right. anyway this is so yeah what else, what I want to point out is that it's really great this is a new way to detect infrared light and it's really useful because we use infrared detection for a lot of uh, scientific things you can use it for Measuring heat. I know it has a lot of military applications too, but uh, infrared is basically you can see in the dark. Yep. If yeah, you can help help see you heat, and you can shine an infrared light, and it won't disturb animals, so it'd be useful for things like that. Things like observing animals at night.
2: And cyborgs and robots and androids and yeah, things be that would be great walk for around. the Terminator and yeah. robots and all those because they don't even need an eye. They don't put the stuff on. They just put stuff have this on detector. Mm-hmm. Why do we need eyes? We have eyes because there's <laughs> because they're like squishy, advanced, developed things to do that stuff. But you didn't watch Cosmos yet, did you? I haven't watched Cosmos. I only you watched gotta, the
1: first episode. You gotta
0: watch the second episode. It talks about eyes. Oh my
2: god!
0: Eyes are weird.
2: Eyes are super weird. So but he
0: talks about cool. how they evolve. It's pretty neat.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I think I it's think... just
2: bizarre that I got this like strange gelatinous sphere that happens to be a lens. Yeah. Wow.
0: It's amazing. Uh, The eye is often used by... I love uh, nature. ...anti-evolution people to say, or creationists, to say that uh, the eye is impossible to come by evolution. God had to make it. That's... I mean, it's it's not true,
2: but... (laughs) Do they know anything about the eyes of mollusks? Mollusks have super interesting eyes.
0: That's not the point, though.
2: Yeah. All right.
1: Anyway.
0: So when you guys... You guys should watch Cosmos, but. All right, all
1: Everyone right. should watch Cosmos. Yeah, it was the
0: first episode was kind of. So this is yeah. so Neil deGrasse <laughs> Tyson's got like, a TV like show. It. Yeah, that's what's going TV on show. here. Good. He has a podcast too. I like his podcast. Sometimes. Are we
2: indoctrinating people with science?
0: I hope so. Me Good. too. Maybe I don't know. No. <laughs> all right. I mean, it shouldn't. It shouldn't <laughs> be a doctrine. It should
2: be. No, I understand. It
1: is. What is, is. a doctrine? No, I don't, don't mean it say? is a doctrine. I mean it is science is.
2: Yeah. But when people say indoctrinating what they generally, they don't know what that word doctrine really means in biblical terms. So what they think it means is, hey, uh, you mean you're raising someone with ideas. That's literally what indoctrination means to most people, I think. I
0: think it's, all right, I looked up the definition. It says it's a codification of beliefs or a body of teaching or instructions, taught principles or positions as the body of teachings in a branch of knowledge or a belief system. So the way I interpret, the, at least the, uh, uh connotation? The, yeah, the connotation of the word doctrine to me is something that's
2: you believe no matter what, regardless of evidence. Okay. It's got a bit of that in it. I feel like that definition though, that definition that, that definition though says to me that it is more uh, a state of looking at things that is decided by the surroundings which introduce you to the world. So if you grow up in one family which says this or another family which says that, you might have ideas based off what they tell you, and that is indoctrination, even if it's based off evidence or not.
0: Yes, yeah, but you shouldn't believe what your parents tell you no matter what. If somebody no. presents you evidence, and if you, you should be able to change it based on evidence and facts. You should be able to change your beliefs, and I don't think that a doctrine allows that. Or that's, again, off topic. So
1: since we were talking about special detectors, we can talk about more simple, simplistic detectors. <laughs> oh, we are scientists in our
2: lab, looking through the microscope. The little glass sides, they never lie.
1: How can this fall like come? I've never seen anything like it before. This amoeba's got a mind of its own. But don't turn your back to stupid science world. This is Richard for the telephone. So we were just talking about condensing some like sophisticated technology into a contact lens shape. But what about, uh, although not completely sophisticated, but very common use technology in the world of science in the palm of your hand? Okay. So our,
0: our next story comes from the MIT Technology Review. And uh, this is the section from of Emerging Technology from the Archive. So we talk about the archive quite a bit. It's a, a preprint server for uh, physics or any sort of science papers where authors can publish uh, first drafts that aren't peer-reviewed, but that they believe are correct online for people to see. Um, and a lot of people don't bother publishing afterwards because they know it's already public, and other people continue to publish something in a journal to make sure that it gets peer-reviewed and edited. Um, so this is the, the title of this article is The $1 Origami Microscope. And uh, what happened is some researchers from Stanford University, uh, Manu Prakash, have developed a low-cost microscope made from folded paper and a lens, and a few other really cheap pieces. So it's uh, a way for people to make a microscope at home, or they, they specifically talk about using a microscope in a third-world country or somewhere where they might not have the funds to get a really nice microscope. Or And the total cost of all of the components is about $0.97. Cents. That's That's kind of really cool. Um, and they call it the foldoscope. Foldoscope. Yeah. Foldoscope. Foldoscope. So we'll have a link to the archive paper. It has the page that you can print out to actually fold the microscope, and it has the bill of materials for buying the few extra parts that you need to build it. Uh, do- uh,
1: Professor uh, Prakash also did a TED talk on this. Am I quiet? too quiet? Anyway, um, Professor Prakash actually did a TED talk on this project. That was from 2012. Um, it, at the time, they claimed it was a 50 cent oh. uh, origami microscope. So I'm not sure what changed, but Inflation. I think it's the uh, no the LED edition. I think it was a simple optical microscope where they were doing infrared as well. It was
0: okay. Yeah, infrared. It couldn't have done infrared because not have a filter. Maybe not because it doesn't
1: have yeah. I don't. Um, I don't. Or but maybe it. at the anyway at the time they thought it would be cost about 50 cents, but Anyway, the talk is really good if you'd like to listen to that after you listen to us.
0: All right. Well, maybe we'll, we'll put a link to that on the website, too. Um, what did the TED Talk say? Does it,
1: sound... uh, it was basically the gist of what we're going to say. Okay. But <laughs> it's nice to hear it from yeah. the The person who had the dream.
2: It's nice to hear from Ted. From Ted, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, what this is, is it's basically it's a paper framework that you print out, and then you add a small LED and a battery and a very tiny round lens um, to the the paper. You cut up the paper, and then it's three layers stacked on top of each other with some folded parts that go in between. And you, you move it, you bring it into focus by moving your fingers back and forth, like inside and outside, mm-hmm. to decrease or increase the distance between the lens, which is where your eye will be, and... The sample, which is on the bottom.
1: Right.
0: Um, they are talking about the the most useful things that this will be f- uh, good for is schools, universities, and especially uh, medical things in third world countries. Yeah. Uh, they can easily, even though it's it's so cheap, you can see common bacteria and parasites using this microscope. So in a hospital that might not have any money, they might be able to afford a lot a bunch of these microscopes and they're basically disposable. So if they get contaminated with some sort of bacteria or a parasite that you're looking at, you can just throw it away. Uh, maybe keep the lens, maybe not. It, I mean, it depends right. on on everything. But this is much much cheaper than a regular microscope with an objective lens and a secondary lens and all of the fancy metal cuz those cost hundreds to thousands of dollars.
1: It's also mobile.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot smaller. I mean, you can basically fold it up and put it in your pocket. So that's... I didn't even think of that.
1: Yeah. It's not... You know, think of all the high-dollar microscopes that are in your laboratory and how they have to be, like... Yeah, you know, how much they weigh and the metals that they're all composed of. Can you imagine having just a microscope in your back pocket the way that you would carry a magnifying lens when you were a kid?
2: You know yeah. what, what, what I'd really like is to 3D print a microscope. You just buy the lens parts... And you three D print all the rest of the parts.
0: That might be good, but you have to have a three D printer. That's just true. But the other, like they talk about this, the manufacturing process for a piece of paper that's like stamped and printed is so much less than even a, even a three D printer. Yeah. Uh, yes, that would that's much cheaper than a regular microscope, and you could feasibly do that. And now I kind of want a three D
2: printed microscope. <laughs> we should look into see if we can find parts for a three D for a microscope on Thingiverse. Yeah, that would fit certain lenses. I I think that would work great. Uh, That'd be really interesting. So what do we have to say about this?
0: Uh,
1: Other than that, that, you you know, they were able to make it, and, um...
0: Well, ah, that's okay. So that's a really cool thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you want to see it in action, you can watch the TED talk. He actually uh, demonstrates how it does work as a microscope in the video.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, so you
1: can see it firsthand. You can also watch them jump up and down on it to prove that it's durable. Oh, it uh, to make sure that it's universal for all using like all standard optical microscopy. You know, it takes a microscope slide. Okay. It, yeah, so I mean, they didn't deviate from the norm there. You don't have to have a special uh, sample holder. Sample holder for anything. It's just it's just a standard microscope slide it can go right inside of it.
0: That's pretty amazing. Um, if you can see cells and bacteria, and that's, I mean, yeah, I kinda, it's a I good way wanna...
1: to quickly diagnose what type of uh, bacteria-related diseases.
0: Yeah, are. I've got a cheap microscope at home, and then we have nicer microscopes in the lab. But I kind of want to build one just to see how it works. Yeah, uh, just to Maybe. have some experience with it and to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk a little bit about decreasing the cost of manufacturing even more, because you're with the paper process, you're able to use uh, to, uh, roll-to-roll processing, mm-hmm. which is kind of a buzzword in the uh, printed solar cell, organic solar cell arena, where everybody wants to be able to print roll-to-roll, which is basically just print big, long sheets of these things, and then it's very cheap to roll it, transport it, cut it up wherever you want. And uh,
2: You've heard of... Um... What's it called uh this type of ceramics processing it's called uh, like um uh what's it called? It has a specific name that I can't remember basically what it is is you have this ceramic mix, this unfired mix or what's called a green a green ceramic
1: oh a green body
2: and then it's it gets basically squeezed by these rolls into a uniform sheet that gets passed down a uh, you know, a conveyor belt and goes through a firing process. However, oh. you can just buy it unfired between two, like, like you know, plastic tapes. And you can take it out and cut it into pieces however you want or, like, you know, shape or something like that and then fire it.
0: Uh, is it, would the process be called calendaring? Because calendaring is That's a process for you use for metals and
2: polymers to roll it real thin. I don't know if it's called calendaring. Okay. I don't think it so is. So it would be
1: almost like just purchasing clay before you put it in a kiln.
2: Pretty much. It's like purchasing a sheet of clay. Pretty much, except that you can buy more advanced ceramics this way. Right. Well, you can buy things like, you know, like...
0: Silicon carbide.
2: Yeah, TIO or something titanium like that. Or, and aluminum oxide, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, titanium aluminum oxides. Or <laughs> you can even probably buy zirconium oxide. Cool. Just funky because you could fire it. And uh, if we if we want to make actually make a crystal out of it, we have to fire it. Very mm, hot. Really,
0: really hot. Super but super
2: hot. <laughs> cool.
0: And amorphous ceramic is
2: cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't think you can actually recrystallize aluminum oxide. We were talking about that in the group today, in the meeting today. Yeah, but you have to be able to crystallize it. But you can't to begin recrystallize with. it, so you can't like make it from amorphous. You have to mm-hmm. grow it as a crystal. Anyway. I see. There's no phase transition from amorphous to crystalline. Like there's some materials. There might be with a modifier. Maybe with a seed or something. Like a, but, a,
2: yeah. this stabilizer element that it's doped with might allow it to crystallize. Yeah. Like yttrium or something like that. Yttrium does that commonly. Yeah. A lot of, like the zirconium oxide, they use yttrium to uh yttrium oxide, I believe actually, to uh assist in crystallization and to stabilize it.
0: Okay, well, uh, I guess this was a really short episode today. Um, thank you for listening, and I want to thank Alex and Emily for joining me as my co-hosts.
1: We were efficient today. Yeah.
0: Not really, because we took an hour to record uh, probably 30 minutes of content. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Whatever. Sometimes yeah. you need a short episode.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: boop, boop.
0: Bop. If you want to see any links to the... Wait. Wait. All right. Um, well, if you want to get the show notes or links to anything we talked about in the show today will be available on the website at laserpodcast.com. But if you want to talk about anything that we talked about today to us, you can email us to contact at laserpodcast.com. Or personally, I'm Cameron at laserpodcast.com. Emily is Emily at laserpodcast.com. Sure and Alex am. is Alex at laserpodcast.com. I am. So, yeah. Ooh. We made that last time.
1: Or you can visit us on Facebook.
2: We did? Yeah, we did.
1: Yeah. So I don't remember.
0: It forwards to your your regular email address.
2: What's my regular email? Your ASU email. Oh, I see. Forward. Funky. Yep. I have not gotten an email. No. Nobody
0: sent any emails. Well, yeah. I've gotten one. But...
2: I think I did get one. Which That's was, a challenge. It says something <laughs> along
0: the lines of... So this week we don't have any new comments on iTunes, but please leave us a comment on iTunes or Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Um... Or you can leave this comment on the website. But iTunes is probably the best way to help us out. Leave a rating or a review there so that'll help more people find the show. And we will read whatever you write on the on the air next time. Um, and we're also on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash laserpodcast. We're on Google Plus, just search for Laser Podcast. And we are on Twitter we are at Laser Podcast. Can't think of anywhere else we are on the internet, but it's probably a lot of places.
1: One day we'll have a Reddit page.
0: Oh, we are on Reddit, but... Are we? Yeah. Well, wait, I am on Reddit. I
1: am on Reddit. We are not on Reddit as a collective.
0: Yeah. But I I post (laughs) as us sometimes, so... Oh, that's cool. Anyway. um, Thank you for listening, and... Have a good night. Night. Bye, Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This has been Laser. Let's agree, science and engineering are rad. Show notes with links to everything we talked about are available on the website at laserpodcast.com. You can send us an email to contact at laserpodcast.com, contact us on Twitter at laserpodcast, or find us on Facebook or Google+. If you want to help out the podcast, you can tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, or you can use the Amazon affiliate link on our website before you make any Amazon purchases. Thanks to the band Crying for providing our intro music, and to The Wild for providing our outro music. Hi everyone! Welcome to Laser. Wait, we don't call it Laser anymore anymore. You don't? No, we call it the full name.
1: <laughs> what did that
0: change? Uh, like five episodes ago. Yeah.
1: Oh, then we're gonna have to pay for that. Never mind. Don't use that. What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you we can't even sing happy birthday on podcast.
1: Ah. You know,
0: here's
1: a koozie for
0: you. Koozie! <laughs> You're into these. Well, yeah, they keep your beer cold, they keep your hands warm, and they don't make noise when you put your beer down while we're recording. Koozies <laughs> are great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a fabulous specimen of materials engineering, boys yeah. and
0: girls. I am all about the koozie.
1: Boom. 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 In a light coating of fabric. I have
0: like punk bands screen printed on the. Uh...
1: <laughs> I have a free PBR uh, koozie as well at home. It's for tall boys. Yeah, why not? They just were passing them out at a show I was playing at.
0: And now we can use some mouth trumpet noises. want to hear a trombone yeah I want to hear a trombone how much
2: time have you spent perfecting (laughs) those sounds that's awesome that's amazing
0: that's a pretty good mouth trumpet. I anyway. didn't
2: perfect these at all. I, I basically just somebody just said to me one day, <laughs> like, like just, just make a just stick an instrument with your face, and I did it. And I was like, here it is, I made one. And then uh, to start a band, start a mouth band, mouth, mouth band. band, mouth band. That's a great <laughs> idea.
1: Mouth jazz. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: you don't have to bother with transition music this time. Huh. Just do that. <laughs> yeah, we have
2: Alex's mouth
1: jazz. In there. Mouth right. jazz. Mouth jazz.